Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. We're here in the McDonald home in Arizona on a beautiful Saturday, January. It's pretty nice weather here. I wish I could stay longer. Going back to Salt Lake City, and we're doing a round of podcasts here. The podcast we're doing right now is with Lynette and Corey Braddock. And they have three children. Their middle child is Chloe, and she's a transgender have a transgender daughter. She's been out about three years, and they're going to tell the story of having a transgender daughter. By way of background, they're active in the church. They've been in their ward for about in the area for more than ten years. At the time, Chloe came out. Um, I got my notes here. Lynette was um, serving as the Relief Society. Yes, Relief Society President. You Relief Society President, and Dad was in a stake young men's presidency. And they're just going to tell the story of walking this road. Corey is an attorney here in town. He also is on the board of an LGBTQ organization that has a major presence in this area called One in Ten. It's not affiliated with the LDS Church, but he felt impressed to step into space. Um, They're going to give advice for parents, just their journey to come to terms with a transgender daughter and what they've done to continue and even strengthen their testimony in the church. and. That will be a helpful part of the story for many of our listeners. Anything to correct at this point from a bio standpoint? No, I think you did great. So, Lynette, just introduce your daughter, Chloe, to our listeners. Tell us about her. Okay. She's she's 20 now, so she is a, a student at Arizona State University. She will be graduating in May with a degree in justice studies, and she has a few plans after that, um, possibly becoming an attorney, working um, as an advocacy lawyer. She's a very bright, talented, amazing person. She sounds great. Yep. Dad, what would you just introduce our listeners to Chloe? Um, Chloe's an Eagle Scout. She is a high performer, and she's always done um, a fantastic job at whatever she tries. She's really, really smart, and she's um, very kind-hearted and just a really nice person. When before she came out, she was the serving as the seminary president of Release Time Seminary at her high school. And that's early morning here. No, no. or is that during the day here? During, during the, the day. day. Okay, at her high school. Release time. That would be during the day. Okay. Yeah. And she um, was serving in that capacity, and was really service oriented. She had a calling as a family history consultant, and was and was kind of a model child. That's great. Tell us about her coming out. Um, I think that was about three years ago when she was 17. Yeah, uh, it was a little over three years ago that we found out. And then about six months after that, that she came out to everyone else. Um, but, But she tells us it was puberty when she really started feeling a lot of distress about, about her gender. Um, prior to that, uh, she didn't really feel any distress over it. Um, and, and I guess I guess I should explain terminology a little bit. It might help a little bit more of what she was experiencing. And, and terminology is kind of confusing because I've read you know different terms that are used and and it changes. But I'll just explain what I think for me has helped me to make sense for me is the term I've I've read about is called gender incongruence, and that's where a person's their uh, internal sense and awareness of their gender gender um, or their gender identity is also what it's called is different than 
what their physical appearance is. And, 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 and that's also the term is, is what they were assigned at birth because it was the gender that they were assigned based on what they looked like by the doctor. And so their gender identity is different than what they were assigned at birth. And that's called a incongruence or gender incongruence. So anyway, um, oh, and the other thing is that it's interesting is that kids as young as two, like two, three, and four can feel this gender incongruence and they may express to their parents that they're experiencing this and, and it can and it can be a lot of cause a lot of distress for them. And the distress is called gender dysphoria. So that's different than the incongruence. The incongruence is just the experience and 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 of of the awareness being different than the to what was assigned at birth. And the d- dysphoria is the distress that that incongruence causes. And so anyway, so kids as young as two, three, four can experience this gender incongruence and they can feel a lot of distress or dysphoria over it. And they might express that to their parents. And, and the more that these kids are expected to live as the gender that the parents think they are or thought they were is, is can cause even more dysphoria for these kids. But anyway, so Chloe, for her prior to puberty, her gender incongruence wasn't really distressing for her. She said she didn't really think about it, but it was puberty when it really started getting bad. Um, as, as puberty, her body started mapping a way that was even more different than how how her what her gender identity was and so that incongruence was was getting wider and wider and so that was really distressing to her and and also just the message that we the messaging that goes on in our church about gender is she just felt like okay this isn't the way this is supposed to be this is wrong you know god wouldn't want me this way and so she said she really tried to fight it and um she uh, said she made a deal with God that if she really did everything that she could and just lived as perfectly as she could, that that He would help her, that He would take away this this feeling, female identity that she had, and this this desire that she had to to live as a female. And so, so what we saw as parents was this almost hyper religious kid. We saw this kid who just really dove headfirst into the gospel and um, just was really a, a, a obedient kid and, and a kid that I, I never really had to worry about and um, was you know bearing her testimony as often as she could and, and serving and doing family history and on her own. And, and in fact, she was so service oriented that that she was the kid that every single time that they asked for volunteers to, to serve in church, you know, her hand was the first hand that went up. To the point it was irritating because when they would ask for volunteers in priesthood meeting, she would always be volunteering, which meant I had to go. <laughs> and so that was a little bit irritating at times. But she's, she's the great. kid who would um, would literally be in her room reading her scriptures every night yeah. and on her knees praying. And so um, she was very dedicated to turning to her father in heaven. Um, and so... As a parent, you you do a lot of patting yourself on the back about how great sure. she is because she's doing all the things that we ask our young people to do. Yeah, I would agree with Corey about her sincerity. I there's no doubt in my mind that she really loved her heavenly Father and her Savior. So it was um, about junior year when we started to notice a difference in her. We started to notice 
some signs of depression, uh, just being withdrawn. And uh, it got worse and worse throughout the year. And, and by end of junior year, that's when I was saying, okay, there's something going on. Like not just the normal, you know, I'm having a fight with my friend type thing, but there was something, something deeper. And it, over the next few months, it ebbed and flowed. And, uh, but by, by senior year, it was, it was really getting pretty bad. And we were, we were really, really worried about her. And, um, the only thing that she said was, there's no hope for people like me. And that really concerned me. I thought, what does that mean? People like me and, and why no hope? And, but I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on. We didn't know. And so, um, but she was, she, she just was quite depressed and just not, not right. And so we, you know, we also, well, we were monitoring her email and, and text messages and, and, you know, we would do that randomly with our kids anyway, but, but more with her, cause we were just so concerned. And, um, and then we saw a text message that she had sent a friend that showed that she was possibly thinking of, um, having suicidal thoughts. And so we talked to her and she, again, she still didn't open up. Um, and so this, this kind of went on until December. And that's when we read an email that she had sent to her, her older brother who was on a mission at the time. And she opened up to him and she told him what she'd been going through and just how hard it was. And in the email, she explained about the deal that she had made with God and that she felt like she had kept her end of the deal. She had done everything that she could and didn't feel like God had kept up his end of the deal. And she said in the email that God wasn't helping her, and she felt that God had abandoned her and had left her by herself. And she was really, really suffering and just didn't think that she could continue with this male facade anymore. Um, And I, I don't think that God abandoned her. I don't think that he had left her by herself. In fact, I know that. But that's how she felt. And a few months ago, earlier than that, um, in the end of junior year, when that's when we really started noticing that there was there was really something deep and something troubling her, Corey offered her a blessing. And in that blessing, I remember that the blessing said that Heavenly Father would answer her prayer, but it would be different than what she was expecting. And at the time, we didn't know what was going on, so we didn't really know what that blessing meant. But now... I look back and I believe what Heavenly Father was trying to tell her was he wasn't going to fix this gender incongruence that she was expecting him to fix because I believe she is exactly how Heavenly Father wants her to be. And she's not broken, so there's nothing to fix. She is just how Heavenly Father wants her to be. So, but she was feeling broken. And she was feeling wrong and evil. And and that was adding to the distress that she was already feeling because of her gender incongruence. What we learned is that not only did it not get better when she was living 
trying to live as perfectly as she could, but it was getting worse. This, you know, this distress that she was feeling because of the gender incongruence. And, and so all of that compounded to cause her to be in a really, really low place. Anyway, so I read this email and I was absolutely in shock. Um, I did not see this coming. And um, I mean, looking back now, we can connect the dots, knowing that her gender identity is female. Now there are things that make sense to us. But at the time, there was nothing that where we would have that we thought that at all. And so I just was stunned. I didn't, I didn't, we didn't understand this and, and how could this be? We just wanted to try to figure it out. And, and, and I look back now and and think what a blessing it was that we saw this email first, um, rather than, than just react without any time to think because, um, we weren't prepared And, 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 you know, we tell parents to be prepared, but but that's because we weren't. And um, so so we had this time to, to think about it and, and to process it. And, and, and we really wanted to learn because it was something we didn't understand. And so we went to uh, an LDS counselor that we trusted. And, and, and he told us three key things in that meeting. He said, one, that she didn't choose this, this gender incongruence that she was experiencing. And that it it wasn't gonna go away, and and she was seventeen at the time, and so that this was gonna be basically for the rest of her life. And then the third thing that he said was keep the lines of communication open. And um, anyway, so we we talked about it, and and we decided that we wanted to talk to her and tell her that we loved her, and that we were gonna be by her side, and that it was going to be okay. So did you want anything to add? So, so it's, what's unique about our experience that's different than having listened to some of your other podcasts is that our daughter didn't come out to us. She didn't have the opportunity to disclose that who she was. We found out. And I remember very specifically coming home and seeing Lynette just uh, you know, upset by all of this. And I remember her telling me, what it was. And I just looked at her like she was crazy because I thought, you know, the very first thought I had was, well, why can't she just be gay? That would be easy. We can do that. And so I just wasn't, you know, you weren't quite ready, but it really was a blessing to have about a week to um, give it some thought because parents only get to react one time to their child where their child sees it. And so many parents, I think, have regrets as they learn more understand more and are prompted by the spirit to realize that, boy, they wish they could have that moment back. And so we are super blessed that um, our first interaction was more positive. Now, it was positive, sort of, because Chloe was really felt betrayed that we had read this email that she'd sent her brother. Her brother was on a mission, and I think it was kind of a last stitch, hey, help me, pray for me. But of course, yep, she did say that. In but email. but what can what can a brother and on the other side of the world do? Um, because he can't communicate with his parents and isn't going to tell them. I just remember thinking, you know, thinking how heavy it was, and she was upset. But what we did is we said, you know, we said stop. 
I said, well, what have you heard so far? We love you. We don't think you should have to do this alone because we didn't feel that she had to go through this experience by herself. We weren't, nothing was going to change for her as far as what our role was or is as parents. And that helped her to calm down and to go, to realize that maybe it was okay. And she may answer differently today, but sometimes I feel like we kind of ripped the bandaid off for her, which allowed us to then really be able to communicate with her about her experience and what she was going through. How long was she angry for, for being portrayed, to use your words? Did that Oh, I think that was seconds. just, yeah. Did you debate not bringing it up with her and just keeping it in her court and just letting her eventually come out? Or was your, because you're seeking revelation as parents, yeah. did you just feel like we, she's in such a difficult spot and we want to walk with her? I think we felt like, yeah, because we had seen a, a, a very concerning text message that she sent to a friend that we thought showed signs of possible of suicide ideation. And so we wanted her to know right then that we loved her and that. And and we were very genuine when we said we didn't want her to have to go through it alone. It's, it would be incredibly unfair. I, I, I mean, we're, we're her parents and as parents, you know, our sacred duty in the proclamation is to uh, teach them with, with love. And so how can we let our child navigate something so complex by herself without bringing to bear our experience, resources, talents, all the things that we have to offer to try to help her? And so I, I don't think there was ever any any thought that we would just kind of wait and see what happened because in, in that week, not only did we talk to a counselor, but we started researching and 50 54 58% of all trans youth attempt suicide. And so I wasn't going to play that game and and try to see where that might play out more likely than not to attempt suicide. And so for me, yeah, I was going to try to get out in front of it and try to uh, communicate with her because that that number goes from 58% to 4% when you have the acceptance of parents. And so I could reduce the likelihood of suicide by 54%. I'd, I, I'd have to be an idiot to not try to get in front of it. This counselor, I, I want you to repeat the, what the counselor said to you, just so our listeners hear that again. And then did you share that with Chloe, and was she surprised that you were at that spot? Um, I don't remember if we shared with her that we saw the counselor, but what he said was that she didn't choose this, this gender incongruence. And that it it wasn't going away. He wanted us to understand that. And so then the, then the third thing was keep the lines of communication open. Yeah, the point he was making on it not going away dealt with the fact that if this was something she was experiencing prepubescent, then some kids that that that, that changes. But once you're kind of through puberty, it just doesn't change. It's something she's going to experience her whole life. And that was, and he essentially said, you guys have a choice to make on what you want to do. You want to, you know, you want to be part of it or not be part of it. And that's where he brought up these, keep those lines of communication. Because if you, if you, you know, he was, he was very sensible. He said, if you, you know, if you mess this up, you're going to lose your ability to influence or be a part of. Yeah. And and also what we learned is the difference between gender incongruence and gender dysphoria. And, and so he wanted us to understand that 
although counseling can help reduce the dysphoria, but don't send our kid to counseling expecting that or thinking that the counseling is going to fix the incongruence itself. Um, was it scary for you to hear this advice that, because as parents, we would want to fix things. Um, and so I'm just wondering how you, how, when you first heard what the counselor said, how that made you feel. Well, I think Corey's reaction might be, answer might be a little different than mine. I welcomed what he said, but there was something in the back of my mind that was still, maybe there's a way to fix this. I sure. think I wasn't a pretty ready logical. to accept it completely. So I actually went to another LDS counselor, okay. heard the same thing. <laughs> I went on my own. <laughs> and okay. Yeah. And Chloe and I went to another, she wanted to see a counselor and we wanted her to. There's a lot of, you know, mental health things that go around with, you know, just your sense of self-worth and so forth, where a, a counselor is helpful uh, and, and to help deal with the, the sh feelings of shame. But again, it, I, in that back of my mind, I'm like, maybe this is the counselor that's going to just know, know something that can help fix this. And, and being transgender, having that gender incongruence is really, really hard on the individual. And this isn't something that someone signs up for and, and says, yes, let me live a life where I get to experience this and be in one of the most marginalized communities and, and discriminated. It's, I knew it'd be difficult for her. And, and parent goes through a certain sense of feelings of loss as well. It's hard for the parent. And I felt that loss too. Sure. Um, the loss of what the expectations that I had in my mind for my child, you know, and, and for transgender, when a child transitions, there's a, a kind of a loss of, of sure. the child that, that you thought you had. Anyway, that was kind of my reaction, but I think Corey was probably not as dragging his feet quite as much as I, as I was. I, I already shared what my first thought was, which was, well, why can't she just be gay because and being gay and being trans is entirely unrelated. And so the second thought I actually had was, I hope she finds somebody to love her um, because my relationship with my wife is the most important thing in the world to me. And I want all of my kids to have that. And so that's where my brain went, which was what, what life does she have ahead of her? Will she find someone that loves her and can accept her how she is? Will she have all of the things that bring joy to us in this life? And so that's kind of where my brain was at the time. Um, I didn't go to the second counseling appointment. It, it was or a lot of what, <laughs> a lot of these things are, are things that I think we just, for me, were kind of intuitive and, and I, and saying true to me, um, probably the final thing is it just didn't matter. Um, because over time I've certainly realized that I'm not the savior. I'm not, my job is different. I'm her father and it's to support her and to love her wherever she's at. And it doesn't, you know, she doesn't have to comply with my rules or live the way I live to get that. She's entitled to that no matter what. And so for me, it was very much just, um, you know, easy to, you know, even though she does things that are different than what our expectations were, and sometimes it is still hard when, uh, you know, somebody makes a decision that's, you're like, oh, I, I, did I teach them that? 
you, you know, but it's at, at the end of the day, I thought I just, it just doesn't matter. She's going to be uh, treated the same from me no matter what she does. Um, what's her relationship like with her brothers? The brother that was on a mission that's now home. I don't know if you want to talk to that. The younger brother is preparing for a mission. So, so young kids, I think, are much better at accepting transgender siblings. I think it was harder for our son on a mission, and we did some things. Um, what's what's hard about that? Uh, before the recent change, you you weren't allowed to call and talk. It's true. And so, and he can't sit and research it on the internet. It's interesting. And so he has no sense or way, you know, to kind of get ready. And so, or to learn. Right. So she came. So we learned in December uh, when she was seventeen. We had a call at Christmas where it was kind of just ignored. But before the Mother's Day call would be about four weeks before he was going to come home. And I actually went home from church early on Mother's Day and started our call early so I could kind of take him through some things. It's cool. Before the whole rest of the family was on the call, including Chloe, because by then Chloe was out to the world and had started to socially transition, which mean, meant wearing makeup and having a girl's haircut and and wearing girls' clothes. And wearing girls' clothes. And so I was worried about the reaction that he might have through a Skype phone call. And then the final thing we did for Mother's Day, we'd had his travel plans. And I bought the plane ticket next to him on the flight from, he served his mission in Chile from Atlanta wow. to uh, Phoenix and, and gave it to Lynette. Um, so she could spend that time alone to kind of take him through and help him to understand um, what might be different. Right. Because we wanted a positive welcoming, you know, for him and Chloe. I love this story of you flying that last flight home. Yeah. I surprised I him a little you. bit at the Atlanta airport. I would guess that'd be a little <laughs> shocking. And I love, you know, what you did on Mother's Day. What thoughtful parenting. Well, well the backfire of the trip is when, um, Lynette showed up in Atlanta and she was crying. Um, well, I saw him, of course, you know, you haven't seen your, <laughs> seen your, your missionary in two years and the tears started flowing and, and he's, his first thought was, oh no, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> it's a logical thinking guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's good. They're great kids and yeah, the, they have a loving relationship. Our, our younger son, who's 18 and preparing for a mission, he had experience with a couple trans kids in his school. And so for him, it was kind of no big deal. And he saw this unfolding incrementally. In fact, in he knew he knew before we we didn't think he knew. And so we were okay. When do we talk to Cameron? And when we did, he's like, "Oh yeah, I I, I figured it out. I knew." And and we're like, "Well, what do you think? Does she still play video games?" Yeah. Well, okay. That's all I care about. So you know, it was there was there was no beat skipped. I wonder. You know, Cameron and all of you that have LGBTQ brothers and sisters that go out and serve, your ability to reach people and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ in just a little bit more compassionate, understanding way and bring some people along that feel pretty marginalized. And sometimes there's real beautiful stories that happen on a mission with someone like Cameron, mm -hmm. who has a transgender sister. Mm -hmm. So Cameron, maybe you'll listen to this podcast and maybe in two years when you come home, you'll be able to answer that question. Right. You know, as I've watched my other kids around Chloe, I've really seen them blossom into really caring and compassionate kids and, and 
and really loving all people and caring for all people, especially the marginalized and uh, and and nieces and nephews too. They've been amazing as we've gone to family reunions and other family events where they've just loved Chloe and have accepted her and are so compassionate and, and caring. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's been really amazing to watch. And, and I give credit to the parents for teaching their kids to do that. So it's been really amazing. And, and, you know, I, grandparents too, it's, we weren't quite sure how grandparents were going to react. Um, Chloe wanted to come out a month before she graduated high school and grandparents were coming into town. And so for the graduation and, and they, and so we worried about what their reaction was going to be and, and were they going to be able to accept her? And so she wanted to come out on Facebook. And so we said, okay, give us a week. Yeah, we need to, we need to, talk to grandparents and other family first so they don't find out on Facebook. And so we were blown away with the response of family, of grandparents. It was just amazing. They were so loving and they accepted her and they sent cards with, you know, a note, you know, Chloe and using the proper pronouns and, and an aunt sent a, a necklace with a C on it and 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 grandpa took a picture of next to Chloe at her graduation and posted it on Facebook, you know, saying that he was there at, at graduation with his granddaughter. It was, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And and that kind of support and acceptance from her grandparents and from other extended family has been huge for her. Huge. I give credit to God for softening all of our hearts and and treating Chloe and responding in the way that that he wanted us to and needed us to. That's great. Um, talk about a lot of LDS parents spend a lot of time in prayer, fasting, going to the temple to get personal revelation about how to navigate this space. There's not really a release society or an elders quorum lesson, but the principles are there and the way to get personal revelation. Anything you just want to share yeah. that you feel like was an answer to prayer on how to navigate this road? Yeah, yeah. There's, I would say, there's been a lot of spiritual experiences that we've had um, in relation to Chloe. Um, I talked about how at first I was really dragging my feet, and and one of the spiritual experiences I had was when Chloe told me that she wanted to start taking taking hormones, and and just for people who don't understand, and this is something I had to learn too, is uh, that that when transgender people take take hormones they do it to lessen the dysphoria that they feel and the the dysphoria can be mild in fact i've even heard that some transgender people don't feel the dysphoria at all but others feel the dysphoria very very severely and it can be very debilitating and um and so there's a there's a range at which a person can feel it and, and it's different for everybody um, and, and, and almost everybody I've talked to, the transgender people I've talked to who have taken hormones have said that, that it, it does really, it, it lessens the dysphoria that they feel and just helps them to, to be able to just function a little better in life. But anyway, so Chloe wanted to take hormones and, um, and I, this was new to me at the time and I didn't know anything about it. And, 
And I, it was really important to me to find out from Heavenly Father, what, what, how should I proceed as a parent? And so I did a lot of praying and, and fasting. And, and I remember so clearly where I was sitting in the day and, and, and the impression that I received from Heavenly Father. And it was, this is her decision and get on board because she's going to do this whether you want her to or not. And, and at the time she was 17. So, you know, she needed a parent's help in order to do this. And, and he wanted me to help her to, to get it from a rep- reputable doctor, because if it's not done from a reputable doctor, there can be some pretty serious side effects to hormones and, and it has to be done right. It has to be done safely. Um, and, and I got, I just got this impression that, that keeping Chloe safe and alive was number one priority to Heavenly Father and that I needed that and that that should be my priority too. And, and that this, this train was moving and that I needed to get on board and I needed to ride this train with Chloe by her side so that I can help her guide through safe and healthy tracks. And if I'm digging my heels in on the platform, I can't do that. And and if I'm not supporting her, if she doesn't feel like I'm supporting her, then when she's needs help or she's having really dark times, she's not going to come to me. She's going to go somewhere else and and who knows what would happen. And so um that was that was a very strong impression that I got and and I'm like, "Okay, heavenly father, I hear you. Let's do this." So I set up an appointment and we got that process started. Um a- another impression that I received was just using the female name and and pronouns that she wanted us to use. And again, you know, this was towards the beginning and 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 I I didn't know what to do and, and what did Heavenly Father want me to do? And again, I, I reached out to him and wanted him to guide me on what to do. And and as I used the uh, her name, Chloe, and, and used female pronouns and, and called her my daughter, I, I felt peace. I felt just such peace doing that. And I, I knew that came from Heavenly Father because peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And so that was a testament to me that Heavenly Father knows her and he knows me. And, um, you know, and I've had other experiences where just how much Heavenly Father loves her, just so much that he loves her, that he loves Chloe, that that was a specific impression that I received. And and his love is so immense. I think for me, the spiritual experiences I've had relating to Chloe's transition are slightly different, less about the kind of things that Lynette experiences and more as a father, I was always very protective. And as I learned more, I would, I would, the stress level would be so high um, because my brain would go to places that uh, were worrisome. So for example, um, you you know, we know the high suicide number, Um, trans women are more likely to be sexually assaulted, more likely to be physically assaulted. And so when, and then Chloe wouldn't be home from school, I'd be like, oh my gosh, is she dead in a ditch somewhere? What, where, where is she at? Is she okay? And the worry was so much, it was, it was impacting my ability to sleep, my work. And I remember driving into the office one day and just in prayer and being reminded that, one, that I'm not the Savior and that I don't have to carry the burden. And so I laid it at the feet of the Savior and I felt the physical lifting of the burdens that I felt um, as the parent of a trans child. 
And so I knew that um, two things, one, that God loved me, and two, that he loved my daughter. And it was easy for me to feel this physical departure of all the stress and worry. Um, and that came through the atonement. God helped me to carry that burden in a way by making it lighter. Um, and it was powerful. Great stories. Um, I'm really touched by both of your answers. Talk about advice for parents. Um, I would say it, it's, it's, it's difficult and stay, stay close to Heavenly Father um, and look for those heavenly moments and do things and surround yourself with things that are going to really bring the spirit into your life because it's, it's, it's a time in your life when you're going to need more of that. And so it's through that, that you will be able to receive that, that heavenly father is going to give you inspiration on how to parent your child. That's what I would say is stay, stay close to heavenly father, really seek for that inspiration. Um, keep the lines of communication open and, and listen, I, Chloe, after she, we found, you know, found out that, that she's trans and there were times where she wanted to talk and other times where she didn't want to talk about it. And so, but when, when, uh, we were, we wanted, I wanted to learn. And so, and Corey did too. So I would say if parents to listen, ask questions and listen some more and listen some more <laughs> and learn from your child and have an open mind. There are things that I thought I knew about gender that I've learned are that are wrong. Having an open mind and having an open heart allows Heavenly Father to teach me his further light knowledge about this topic, which which isn't really well known or understood, I mean, by you know, us and people in the church and, and here on earth, but Heavenly Father knows it all. And so I've had to really let go of holding on to tightly held opinions that I had, which I guess I didn't realize at the time were opinions or, you know, perceptions. But the more I have let go of, of that and the more I had an open mind and heart, the more I've been able to have um, Heavenly Father really help me to understand. And so I would say really be open and, and listen to your child and ask questions. And, and especially if you're, you know, trust your child. Like what they're telling you is there, it's, it's valid. It's very real experiences for them and, and validate that to them. Um, connect with other parents. That's been really helpful for me. Here in Arizona, we meet with parents once a quarter. We also, I also have, um, go to lunch with other moms of, of trans kids. And these are mostly LDS moms, not all, but it's, it's really important to have for your own emotional health to have that support from other parents and, but also you can learn from other parents and that's really helpful. And after I learned about Chloe, I did a lot of, of searching and reading and, and trying to understand. And, and there's a lot of information and you, and you do need to follow the spirit in guiding that. But I've had experiences where I am praying about, um, I, you know, how, how can, what can I, what should I do? And, and something will pop into my head or I'll, find a, a website on the internet. I found North Star on the internet after I prayed. And there, there were some stories on there. And I feel like Heavenly Father guided me to that because I was able to read some other members of our church who are transgender and, and parents who've written their story down. And then I went 
it just so happened that the North Star Conference was was during a time I could go that was coming up. And so I went and again, met other parents and met other people. And all of that was part of my learning process. And that was a good um, part of my journey to really have a more of an open mind and heart. Um, and, and having your child connect with other kids that are like them, with other kids, trans kids or, or non-binary kids, that's really healing for them. And so be open to that if that's what your child wants to do, because it can be very healing for them. And for me, I think letting, trying to let go of fear, because I realize as a parent how much fear kind of overcomes my ability to seek after and feel the spirit. And so try not to let fear guide your decisions. I'm speaking that more for personal experience. <laughs> and then, of course, be by your child's side. Uh, and, and I'm, we don't have experience with a child as young as three, four, five saying to their parent, uh, expressing that, that their identity is, is the other, the gender, not the gender that, that the parent thought they were. And so I don't have a lot of advice for that other than from what I've heard from parents and counselors is that not to, to cause the child to feel feelings of shame or that they're wrong or broken somehow. I think that, you know, we didn't know about Chloe's gender incongruence and dysphoria, but I wish that we had at least had some understanding of it so that we could talk about it more openly in our family so that she wouldn't feel like she was an abomination or that she was broken or wrong or evil somehow just because of having that incongruence. And so if I could go back and redo, I would, if I could, I guess if, if I could redo and if also if I could wave a magic wand, if I could wave a magic wand, I would change the, the kind of the understanding of gender in our church. And I would change the culture such that we could more openly talk about this so that Chloe would have felt comfortable saying to us or to a church leader, this is what I'm experiencing. And the response would have been wrapping our arms around her and saying, you know what, you're, this is just a part of your life. There's nothing wrong with it. You're not broken. You're, this just is. And from the years of feeling like she was wrong and broken and for so, for so long and, and we could have avoided all that. So if a parent can even, if you don't have a trans child, learn about it because you might. <laughs> we had no idea. And here we are. Do you have any advice, other advice you would give for parents, Corey? No, that was quite a laundry list. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would tackle it different because we're three years down the road. I, what I would tell people, a parent, is that seize the opportunity um, to recognize the great blessings that come from having a child who's not like everybody else. Um, and find the joy that comes from uh, seeing people that may be different. I mean, when we surround ourselves, I'm always amazed. We, you know, we send missionaries out to teach, and um, if if they don't have any experience dealing with or talking to people that are different, how are they going to teach them? When and I, I find that our lives have become more full as we've become more involved with not just our daughter but other LGBT, LGBTQ uh, youth. And grownups, it's a it's a ray of sunshine, as as they fight to just be equal, 
you know, they just want to be recognized and, and seen and, and humanized. And as that happens, it's made our life uh, a great source of joy. And so I, I tell parents, um, give thanks and seize the opportunity that exists because there's great blessings in store for them. And I would agree with that. I think my how I feel is that it's been a great blessing in my life. The layers of of judgment that I didn't even know were there are peeling off as I have not just come to know more about Chloe, but it's also really give us, given us an opportunity to meet a lot of other trans and, and gay and other LGBTQ people. And what a blessing that has been in my life. Another advice I would give for parents is if you learn that your child is gay or trans or, or non-binary or whatever you know label it is that they use to describe themselves, look for the blessing in that because there are blessings. And it's taught me more about the Savior's love that he has for his children, but also taught me more about how I can love as the Savior did. Because I, I thought I did a pretty good job. I knew I needed to improve with loving, but I thought I did a pretty good job, you know. <laughs> But we, what I realize love, is that it's easy to love people as long as they follow all the commandments and follow all the rules. We're really good at that as members of the church, you know, just accepting people where they're at. Um, yeah. For me, that's become one of the great things. I, I love people that want to come to church for, a, you know, one hour. It used to be we'd be so worried, like, oh, my gosh, they, they never stay for a priesthood meeting. I, I Now I'm just grateful they want to be with us a little bit um, because that's that means they're committed. Uh, to some level. And that's a, a fantastic opportunity to learn from them and share with them. And so it's, you know, for me, that's the the great opportunity that exists. I, I, I would agree with that. And Corey said it well. Um, and for me, you know, I, I, I thought I was being lovey by, loving by one, by saying that, right. And, but, but by not being mean or malicious, but I didn't really necessarily take the opportunity to really get to know. And I think there's real power in in learning somebody's story and and moving in and getting to know them on a personal level. And just since Chloe came out and, and we've talked to a lot more people and learning their stories, learning the difficulty, learning what's hurtful to, to them, what 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 I say or someone else might say that might cause them pain, that maybe I didn't realize it before, but I'm I welcome that learning. For me, moving in, getting to know people better, that has been a huge blessing in my life. And, and, and I thought that's what the Savior did, is he moved in. He got to know people. And uh, I think that's what we all can do. Um, this is a wonderful segment. I found a quote from Elder Uchtdorf that I've put in the book I'm writing. It's in the section about introducing transgender um, people as part of this book. And Here's his quote about being open to learn, which is which both of you are sharing. Brothers and sisters, as good as our previous experience may be, if we stop asking questions, stop thinking, stop pondering, we can thwart the revelations of the Spirit. Remember, it was questions. It was the questions young Joseph asked that opened the door for the restoration of all things. We can block the growth and knowledge our Heavenly Father intends for us. How often has the Spirit tried to tell us something we need to know, but we can't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? Amen. <laughs> so I, that causes me, in what you're sharing, to say I want to be open, I want to learn. And I realize just to say loving, 
you kind of move that for me, Lynette. And I think some of our listeners say, yeah, I love, but to really do that, I've got to get to know people's stories and lift burdens. And and then I love your line, the layers of judgment that I didn't even realize were with me. As I start to connect with people outside my circle, I recognize, I call them innocent layers of judgment <laughs> that we all hold as really good people. But sometimes we don't see those until um, we kind of step out of our circle and yeah. become open to learning. And and the parables, as we know, are just full of Christ going to those that the most, most marginalized and and being with them. I was going to try to um, share an experience that kind of brings to light what I think you're saying, and that is that, um, but uh, two, but the, the first is I had a coworker, an LDS coworker, who commented that when talking about this issue, he said, oh, that must be really hard. And I said, well, it's not really that hard. And he asked, um, you, you know, about what was happening. And we were talking about how, you know, our local leaders had instructed us that our daughter shouldn't come to third hour. And, and I told him I disagreed with that. And we were having a very healthy discussion. And, and he kind of commented that, well, we should just love them, but I would be uncomfortable, you know, if they, if there was a trans person in my priesthood meeting. And I looked at him and I said, well, how could you love somebody if you're afraid to be in the same room? You know, I think sometimes as members of the church, we hide behind the words and forget what the actions are, because I think that when you actually love someone, um, as the Savior does, you would be happy to be around them. And so I think it's it, we can't let people get off easy by just saying, "Oh, we just have to love them," if they're not actually willing to do it. The second thing for me is that I became very um, important to me to talk about our family in all kinds of situations, because um, about two or three months after uh, we learned our daughter was trans, we were driving home from somewhere and uh, we were having a conversation and I asked her, I, you know, I said, Chloe, what was it like to grow up in our home? Um, because I was curious. I wanted to know what is it like to be trans and to be growing up in a Mormon family? And she said, it was very honest. And she said, dad, I loved all the activities. I loved scouting and camping and hiking. And I loved the boys in my quorum. But inside, I felt like I was an abomination before God and worthless as a person. And I decided that night on the drive home um, that I would never be embarrassed or ashamed of who she was because what she was feeling was guilt and, and being ashamed. And she'd felt a lifetime of that already. And it, to the extent that we hide or shield or don't talk about these members of our families, we're, we're really sharing a message that we're embarrassed or ashamed and what they're feeling, um, what they felt is, uh, is real and it shouldn't be. And so for us, uh, you know, I've been very vocal and outspoken um, in a kind way about who our family is. So we're, we are quick to share family pictures. Um, uh, I wear a transgender flag on my lapel at the office every day. And church and church. And I, you know, I got involved in a LGBTQ charity because for me, it was important that my daughter see and other LDS uh, gay and trans people see that my um, support wasn't just because my daughter was part of the community, but that every child um, deserves love and respect. And so um, I looked for a charity that I thought I could get involved in and be actively involved in um, 
that serve these kids that may, maybe didn't have the same experience my daughter was having at our house. And so I got involved with One in Ten, which serves LGBTQ youth age 14 to 24 and helps to teach them life skills and helps them with resumes and helps them provide guidance and support that they may not be getting from home. Um, and it's been a tremendous source of uh, joy um, in my life to see um, how you can get involved and show our Mormon kids that, that we're serious about how we feel about this. I wrote to make sure I asked you a specific experience. That um, was the one. Okay, I just <laughs> I, I had more uh, experiences, but but that was that was one for me that was really impactful. There's a few key events that I remember very clearly that come from talking to my daughter, where I feel like it's um, the Lord's telling me, "Don't be embarrassed or ashamed." I mean, I don't I don't get those kind of feelings. Um, that strong very often, but it was just very clear to me that that was a decision I was going to make and I was going to live up to um, because it was important. And I think it's really important to her to know that her father uh, stands behind her. Um, and that's, you know, I think that that uh, she always knows that we love her no matter what. And that's important to me. It's really cool. Both of you, that's really cool. I love, I'm just trying to be Chloe right now. And imagining what it's like to feel some of the feelings that she opened you with up with and the courage it took you to ask the, that question. And I think the healing that that question would bring and then seeing her parents step in the space. And I, yeah, if you want to take shame out of one of your children's lives to, to do what you're doing would the message to Chloe is, you know, they really love me. And they're proud of me. And if they could push a button and make this all go away, they wouldn't push it because our family is better off for Chloe and having a transgender daughter. And you're both nodding your heads. And I, well, you know, and, and part of that is because like Lynette talked about is, you know, we talk about divine nature in our church and my daughter's divine nature is as a trans woman. That's who she is. That's how God made her. And he loves her. Um, he doesn't love some children more than others. He doesn't love those of us who come to church every Sunday more than those that don't. He doesn't love uh, the the prophet more than he loves the least of us. Um, his love is pure and true. And so there's just no reason for us to worry about our trans children not feeling God's or not having God's love. To the extent they're not feeling it, it's because we're doing an inadequate job of sharing it with them and helping them to see the light that's in, in their lives and the goodness that comes from who they are. Um, Chloe has stepped away from the church. I, I don't know if we've made that clear in the podcast. Is that correct? Yes. What, what would you say to other parents that have a child, straight or trans, LGBTQ, that has stepped away from the church? Just to help them feel more at peace. And it's really, I mean, that's not what we hope will happen in our families, but it happens in a lot of families. I've, I, and I've, maybe Lynette feels different about this, but I've never worried about her salvation because I just, knowing that this is her divine nature and how God made her, it just hasn't struck me as something that I need to be concerned. I don't think her being trans is, is sinful. And I think it's based partly on tradition. You know, for example, it, initially, you know, our, our bishop would, uh, you know, we'd talk about this and I'd be like, well, what would be the sin? I mean, wearing a blouse as opposed to a shirt? You know, there's nothing other than tradition of what one's masculine and one's feminine. And so 
I just think that uh, by focusing on her divine nature and doing what, what the Savior would do, which was to see her at her maximum potential, should give us uh, confidence that, you know, knowing that God loves her, that everything will work out. When Chloe, um, we learned Chloe was trans, initially she, she wanted to go to church because she was such a good kid. She wanted to be a good example to her brother. But I went to her and I told her, Chloe, you don't have to come if you're not comfortable. And I totally get it. Because it was, it was hard for her. Yeah. I mean, it was really distressing. And um, because I wanted her to know that that would be okay as her parent. Nothing was, once again, our love wasn't contingent on her being part of the program. And I think that that was a good step. She continued to come for some time after that, but it just became too hard with the messaging that goes on. And and then certainly once she transitioned, you know, I think she's been to church for her brother's homecoming. Times. That's it. Yeah, just a couple times. And a good friend who left on his mission. And our ward was great when she came. They were very kind and loving and and gave her lots of hugs. You referred to her as Chloe. That's that's huge. Yeah, used the proper pronouns. They were great. Um, but if she's not comfortable, I, I just don't think that we're... It's, it's hard to feel the spirit if you're uh, feeling that kind of distress. For me, it, it was harder. Um, but at the same time, I could see the distress that she was in at church, and I could see that it was hard for her. But it, it wasn't just not going to church. I could see her pull away from Heavenly Father altogether. And, and that was the hardest for me. And, and this is why it's so important to listen to other people's stories, because it's helped me to understand what she was going through. And, and what she was going through is the pain that she had experienced for so many years growing up in our church and, and feeling like an abomination and worthless, and then hearing comments and messages from people who don't really understand the reality of gender incongruence and gender dysphoria and, and didn't know that someone like her was sitting in their classroom. So going to church was like experiencing that pain over and over again. And I've also learned how distressing the gendered aspects of church can be for a transgender person. It can really spike their dysphoria and it's, it's very hard for them. But what helped me to let go of the worry I felt because she was, I could see her pulling away from church and God was a very impactful spiritual experience I had when the spirit told me that Heavenly Father and the Savior love her and know what she's going through and that it was going to be okay. And I felt this peace just envelop me and, and take away the worry I had. And I haven't worried about her salvation since then. I, I worry about her safety her health and, and her happiness now. And, and I, and I do, I do want her someday to come to know that her heavenly father loves her. I, I think right now, you know, that's the most important thing for her. He's there and he loves her just as she is right now. And, and there's no qualifications on his part for his love and, and to get to know her savior, because I think getting to know her savior and her heavenly father and, and really knowing that they love her just as she is, I think that could bring a lot of comfort to her in this life. And and if she never steps foot in a church building, I'm okay with that. I just hope that that she can just have that relationship with Heavenly Father and her Savior and, and, and know that they love her. What have you done to strengthen your testimony during this time? And I think you've talked directly or there indirectly, but both of your testimonies have, have maybe even been strengthened during this time. Huh. 
Um, I think that Heavenly Father had a, a part in that. Um, looking back, that calling me to be the Relief Society president was part of that. And uh, he he knew that I needed that calling. And it was a calling where I had to keep showing up at church. <laughs> that's that's part of it. Um, I had to keep showing up. And because when I was at, when was at church, especially after Chloe came out, and we we did get some re- rejection or we, we could feel it in, in avoidance and stuff like that. And, and, and your mind just starts playing on you, you know, all these stories that maybe aren't really true. Like people think, you know, they, what do they think about us? But I'd go to church and, and, and there would be people there that would, you know, give me a hug and how are you doing? And I would feel their love and connection and, and, and that helped me. So keep going. <laughs> um, and uh, like I had said before, just continuing to, you know, read scriptures and, and pray and go to the temple and, and jotting down when I had those heavenly experiences so I could look back and see that and remember that. Um, uh, and the other thing is, is for me, I had a, another experience. This was before Chloe came out to everyone else, but we knew, and I was listening to a conference talk and it was about forgiveness. And I had such a strong impression as I was listening to it. This is for me. And I thought, yeah, good idea. Forgive. Yeah, that, I already know that's a good thing to do. But I didn't know until Chloe came out publicly how much I was really going to need that <laughs> to forgive. Um, and, and it's something I, I, I still am learning how to do that fully. But that is another um, way that Heavenly Father helped me to strengthen my testimony because it's easy to let anger fester and, and, and build up and start criticizing. And it, it just turns into a cancer that spreads. Criticizing leaders, criticizing yourself. Um, critic, I would say criticizing leaders, criticizing church members. Cause you know, we had, we had some really great experiences with a lot of church members and leaders that really were supportive and awesome. But we also had some pretty not awesome experiences. In fact, we had some pretty awful, awful experiences. Um, and so that lesson of forgiveness just kept coming back into my mind. And I think that really helped me to, to let go and not let that, that answer, that cancer of anger, um, just, just spread and, and destroy my testimony. And, and there's other things too. Um, this, this something has been helpful to me is, is focusing on the core of the gospel. Um, the atoning sacrifice of the Savior, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, love, uh, my covenants, uh, focusing on that, and 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 through that, I I have I have testimonies of the prophet and the apostles and the church leaders that that they are the Lord's servants. They are called by Him to be the Lord's servants, and I have had spiritual experiences that have taught me that. But I also know that they're not perfect and everything that comes out of their mouth isn't going to be perfect or necessarily eternal truth. And, and so I can, I can separate out what maybe some things that have said in the past that were based on a leader's knowledge and understanding they had at the time that now 
it's being taught differently. I don't get tripped up over that because I know that that this is the Lord's church and they are his they are those people are are his chosen servants and and he reveals line upon line further light knowledge that he still has yet to reveal to us. So even things that we're taught today there's going to be more revealed and that understanding is going to become greater and and I I understand that. And so um Elder Oaks said that, or President Oaks said this well last year when he talked about experience that he had years ago before he was an apostle, where there were some things taught in the church that that he questioned, and he wasn't sure if it was true, and he prayed about it, and he never received a confirming answer that what was taught was true. And later, it was taught that it wasn't true, that there, there, it was different, that the teaching was changed, if that makes sense. And he said that can happen because they're teaching based on the knowledge and understanding they have of a particular topic at the time. And if there's something that we wonder about or we question, we can also have, we also have that Holy Spirit that we can turn to and turn to Heavenly Father and ask for his understanding. And if something is his truth, God's truth, then we should be humble enough and open enough to accept that. But if it's not, then we won't get a confirming answer that it is true. But but to keep our covenants and to keep going um, and to, to not throw everything away with our, the church and not throw our covenants away because there might be a, a, a teaching that that say was was taught and then later was changed or there's something today that that we don't like so that's a really long answer from me Corey. do you have anything you want to add what was the question (laughs) (laughs) i i think that my testimony grew because i spent more time praying than i ever had in my life because i needed to i needed god more um so that i could uh lead out um you know sometimes necessity is a great motivator. And for me, that's what it was. It was just, I needed to be able to communicate with my father in heaven and open those channels so that we could do that. Talk about, this is a really good podcast. You two are wonderful. Uh, Often in social media, in the groups I pick up is our doctrine of the proclamation, of doctrine of the family, the eternal family, the proclamation on the family. I'm not sure I'm saying that right. I guess it's the proclamation to the world, the family. Um, and a lot of sensitive teachers, seminary teachers, local teachers want to teach that, but it recognize that a lot of people don't fit. And there seems to be an increased sensitivity that talking about that can be very difficult for people that don't fit. LGBTQ people would be a really good example. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for local leaders? Should they just quit talking about it or should they talk about it and then try to acknowledge, you know, that it, this is the ideal, but I mean, just any thoughts, as I'm sure you probably yeah. thought about this. Before you go with the official Bragg family answer, maybe I'll leave, <laughs> take a, a shot and then you can correct Maybe you it. can give the official Braddock family answer. I, I think that- You two are a good team. Uh, <laughs> I think that, um, I, I don't know what, if it has much value. People who are in the LGBTQ community know what the proclamation says. And so typically- the way I view it is the proclamation is primarily used to beat down people that aren't following it. So for Lynette and I, we're super good at living the proclamation because 
we're straight, we're married. Um, one of the things that this experience for our daughter has done is opened up my eyes to the heartache that's caused outside the LGBTQ community by the proclamation. Every single mother, I, I'm like, I finally understand why it's hard for them to hear because the, a single mother, yeah, a single mother, because they're faithful, they're living the commandments, and and there's and they're saying that I'm not married, but then a, but then a single woman has it one step worse, and then you have married women who can't have kids. It's it's actually opened my heart in this area where I feel like I get why it's hard, and and it's helped me as a man to be less misogynistic and to be more sensitive. You define misogynistic for our listeners? Probably not. <laughs> um, it, it, it has to do with... Um, do you want me to Google it real quick? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it, I, what it means is that is that it's kind of this male-centered uh, way of looking at things. And it's... But but we think in these terms sometimes, and we, and we think as a man, an example of being misogynistic would be, well... So you, you'll, you'll be able to have children in the next life. Why is this such a big deal? And not really understanding the impact of maybe what they're experiencing in their life. And so um, it's helped me at work to be a, a better advocate for our women employees. You, you know, And so there's all of these elements in our society, not just church, but in church, it's expressly strong. And, and the church has made significant strides to lessen that by including women in councils, by seeking guidance and, and you know, all all men who are married to somebody like Ned know that I'm like, I don't even need personal revelation. I can just ask her because <laughs> she is so busy praying and search, searching it that it feels like. Sounds like my wife. Yeah. So it's like, I'm like, well, what, what would I have to add? But it's, you know, the proclamation is, has what I think are a lot of eternal truths to it. And I also think that, that we should apply it the best we can. And and for me, that's the example. Um, you know, what does what does the proclamation say? It's it to a parent. It says that I'm supposed to love and teach in righteousness. And what does that mean for me as a father of a trans woman? Uh, it means that my job is to teach her that God loves her. And so we have those discussions, even though she's um, less interested in hearing it. I bear my testimony to her about her divine nature. I bear my testimony to her about God's love for her, just the way she is. Um, I offer to give her blessings before school, just like my straight attend kids, uh, my straight kids. Um, she gets all of the same offer of spiritual guidance as all of my kids, and that's what the proclamation adds value. I think what what would be really good for people to consider when they're doling out topics at church to teach is to focus on those core doctrines of. Uh, of what's going to help everybody feel closer to the Savior, what's going to help everybody to love people better, and what's going to help people to uh, want to serve God's children and help them to feel uh, His love. Set aside the proclamation, we have lots of topics that are, to me, kind of ancillary to uh, the key issues that we need to be focused on if we really want to be followers of the Savior. Soapbox ended. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, now go. Your official view oh. <laughs> from the Braddocks. Uh, I think just be aware that the proclamation, sometimes the way it's taught, can be can be hurtful. And for our LGBTQ youth, they can feel like they don't know where they fit in in that and where they fit in God's plan. And and after hearing that for a long time, sometimes they are just like, "Well, I, I can't I can't go again and and hear another lesson and and where I feel broken." 
and they may stop going to church. And I would say just just learn more and become more aware of, of what people are experiencing and feeling and maybe even ask them, how can I teach this in a way that's, that is helpful to you, that helps you to feel the spirit? I don't know. Is that? That's a great I, answer. Great I would think too that it would, would be really interesting to me is I would love um, if you're in a ward and you have somebody who's openly gay, why not ask them to be the one to teach the lesson? That's a great idea. And to to, to share what, what truths that they've taken from it because our, we have lots of LGBTQ members of our church who are fully on board, temple recommend holding, uh, want to follow God's commandments as they're currently uh, presented to us. And there's a lot of insight about what, what's in that document. Yeah. I think that uh, as I have heard members of the church who are LGBTQ share their testimony, it's powerful as they've come to know for themselves that God really loves them. There's so much that can be gained in our wards by having our LGBTQ members speak up to share their testimonies, to teach. I think we're worse off by this culture of don't talk about it. And, and that comes more from the rest of us maybe being uncomfortable, but that's not a reason to not have someone else share a part of them that can we can all come closer to Christ through. And, and if any of us are uncomfortable, if I'm uncomfortable, that that's on me. That's my problem. That's what I need, something I need to work on. And 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 we can all overcome that by allowing, by hearing other stories and getting to know people. Invite someone to lunch. Tell me your story. We can really, um, I think, grow as a church a lot by allowing our LGBTQ members to share their stories and speak up. Love that. Love your answers to proc- proclamation of the family. I've I've recognized that at times the goal of the lesson is to sort of take on LGBTQ. And so instead of saying we're going to have a lesson about um, taking on LGBTQ as this outside threat to the church, we're going to talk about the proclamation family. But that's really what we're saying. And I love what you said is I think that's where we can mature as a church to talk about the proclamation family and pull out beautiful truths within that, but not weaponize it or not infer that um, that LGBTQ people are an outside threat. I think for me, just like you're sharing, LGBTQ people are our own people, and we have a responsibility, just like you have a parental responsibility to Chloe. I felt that as a YSA bishop, and the couple of gay men I had, I then everything shifted for me because I saw LGBTQ as our own people and not this outside threat. Right. So, so in the way that's taught, um, as it relates to gender in the proclamation, it says gender is an eternal uh, characteristic of our premortal, mortal, and eternal identity. And um, so people sometimes try to say, oh, well, that means we shouldn't change. We shouldn't change our gender, you, you, you know, and that's not in the document. What's in the document is that it's an important characteristic, and it's a precursor to a discussion about male and female roles that is disheartening to other people. Um, and that's my reading of it as a lawyer and as, as somebody who reads documents and interprets them. But I, I raise it differently. Uh, I raise it because we talk about other groups of people and we say, well, that's their mortal experience. So for example, uh, if, if you take a child who's born with Down syndrome, we, we apply different teachings to them because they're going through a mortal experience where they don't have the same opportunity as somebody who doesn't have uh, um, Down syndrome. 
and for me, when I think about mortal experience, my daughter, this is her mortal experience. I don't know. Um, it is just as likely that her eternal identity is female. Um, but I, I don't know that. And, it's, and it doesn't matter. What I do know is this is her mortal experience and her essential characteristic is as a trans woman. Yeah, I, I think is is as I've really pondered uh, about what the proclamation says, and I, I, I agree that the gender is important. The only thing that's eternal about us at this moment is our spirit. And it's the spirit we had in, in our pre-mortal existence. And we had a, our pre-mortal existence had a gender characteristic. And the concept that the spirit comes into a mortal body that might not develop maybe as the the gender the same gender as the spirit at first was no that that can't be but as i've studied it more and as i've pondered it more i've realized it certainly could be i mean there's so much as i've learned just the science behind gender there's kids in the dominican republic who are born looking basically like girls and they're given girls names and they're raised as girls and then they go through puberty and they actually develop male genitalia. But it's interesting there's a, a documentary about these kids. These kids they 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 felt like boys. Even though they were raised as girls, they felt like boys and they wanted to do boy things. And doctors have looked into it and there's enzyme that is not right in the womb that doesn't allow for the development of the male genitalia in the womb. So they're, you know, born without it. Um, and so when they go through puberty, they get that wave of testosterone that then develops the way they should have been. And and these kids knew what gender they were. They knew. They they felt like a boy. And they went through puberty. And at that point, you know, their body then developed the way it was supposed to. But what if that second wave of testosterone wasn't triggered and they remained without male genitalia, which or they didn't develop those primary or those secondary sex characteristics either, but yet they internally they felt like boys, but yet the expectation of them was a girl because that's what they were assigned at birth. That opened up my mind to there's so many possibilities of what if and could it be? And absolutely it could be. I read another story about a a, a person who was assigned male at birth and and expected to be male, but always felt like a, a female. And of course, it was told, no, that's not right. Had an injury and had to have a bunch of scans and learned that that she had a, a uterus and a fallopian tube. And so I look at people and it should it be me that determines their gender based on how they appear to me or what the doctor thought they were at birth, or should we let the person tell us? And I'm going to let the person tell us, tell me, because I'm going to trust them on what they are feeling inside, their heart and their soul, what they're feeling inside, and treat them the way they want to be treated and not have to worry about anything else. We know female who look like female, feel like female, but they have male chromosomes. That is, Just those things are common. Experience. Yeah. And then right. there's, of course, there's intersex where a child is born and they're either neither fully male nor fully female based on what's showing. And so there's so many things that where our mortal bodies, we just don't understand. And, and hundreds of years ago, people who were born left-handed, if they were left-handed, they were burned at the stake because that was thought to be possession by the devil. And it was based on 
an knowledge getting burned by the they had yeah it's it's a pretty miserable experience um but but that was because they didn't understand they didn't understand the science they didn't understand the body and of course now we know better we would never think that that would ever happen but i i often wonder are we are we burning transgender people at the stake just because we don't understand it religion needs science and science needs religion i agree we're coming to the end of this podcast. This is a great podcast and so insightful. And one of the questions that I used to he- think are here, and we haven't directly answered it, is, well, these are just people that are going to be confused by Satan. And I believe Satan's real, but I think that keeps me kind of as a way to dismiss everything I don't understand or things that are changing as kind of a platitude is what I call it without fully investigating something. And so when you hear a story like you're sharing with Chloe and the personal revelation you're receiving, and, you know, I can't say that. Obviously, this is, Satan has not confused Chloe, and Satan isn't confusing either of you about the revelation you're receiving for your child. So something's different here than that quick platitude that I hope people don't say. Um we certainly have used Satan in a manipulative way. Elder Uchtdorf talks about this to kind of, I call it keep everything in a nice tidy box for us, to use the fear of Satan. I think Satan's real. I don't want to dismiss that. And he wants to destroy us, but he wants to tear your family apart, and he's not succeeding because of the things you're doing and teaching in this podcast. And it's, and that, to me, is the strength of our doctrine, is keeping families together, keeping communication lines open, helping Chloe stay connected to God, recognizing that it's difficult for her to be in the church. And it's just a beautiful story. Another quote that I'll just share, and then I'll leave, see if you have any final comments. Um, This is one of my favorite Institute teachers who said this, in some matters, it's better to be intellectually uncertain than superficially sure. This will still leave us with a great deal to be certain about by while maintaining a humility to learn. And I love that. And that That's keeps, a great quote. It's a great quote about being open with things that we may need to be open about. Um, go ahead. I'm going to call you the wrong name in a second, Corey, and then Lynette. Any final comments, Corey, and then so, Lynette? So one of the things that I'd like to think about, if people that are listening, is a couple of things I think I, I would want people to know is that um, being trans is really hard um, because... It's hard to go outside. You're worried about what people are going to call you. You have all of these stresses and worries. And so just be thoughtful as you think about these things and think about what the Savior would do and how he would love people and uh, kind of take off your your limiters or blinders and, and you know accept people for how they are. Um, the thing, I guess... I, I guess I should have thought better about there being a great closing question and a great statement. <laughs> We've done such a good job so yeah, far. You but, may have said everything. But, but I but I do think I'd like to think about the one thing that I do every year on National Coming Out Day. Um, there's two things I do regularly. Is One, I offer trans uh, flag pins for people's lapel on tr- uh, Trans Day uh, because I want people that anybody that will wear one, I'll send them one. And that would be true here too. But number two is... Uh, on National Coming Out Day, is I always uh, post on social media about asking parents to give thought of how you're going to react if your kids come out to you. Because I think that it is an incredible opportunity if you've given some forethought 
to how I'm going to react, that the initial message you say, um, if you do it well, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it if you love your kids. And, and by giving some thought in advance, in our case, there were no signs. Our daughter hadn't even ever tried cross-dressing before we approached her. So there were no signs, no indications. We had no clue. And we were blessed that we didn't we didn't have this natural reaction because who knows what how that you know it's easy for us to be awesome parents because we had a week to process it. So I tell parents um, actually think about what you're going to say if one of your kids comes to you and tells you that they're gay or trans. And that should be I love you. <laughs> yeah, but think about it so that when it, if it happens to you, you can do that. And there's plenty of time to go cry in private or to, or to feel like your world is ending. I mean, those aren't, those are normal feelings for some parents, but God will lift them and help them uh, to, to understand it. And, but think about how you're going to react so that if it, if you're faced with it, you can do a good job. And I think that's probably true for, for bishops and stake presidents. Um, you, You know, one of the things that Lynette and I discussed, what would you, one thing you'd want leaders to know and it would be, for me, that was really easy. It would be to listen more and counsel less. I really think that, you know, a leader can make a big difference by listening because whoever and, and is learning. Yeah, whoever is um, coming to them to share these very personal things, they've thought about it. They've read about it. You know, Lynette and I have spent more time and read more articles and listened to more podcasts about trans issues and the Guava Doches, which are the Dominican Republican kids, and 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 which celebrity has a XY chromosome, but but it, but it would every but is a sex symbol as a as a woman. Uh, we're aware of these things. We, we're not when we talk. We're not necessarily looking for immediate counsel. Listen, and um, and then let the spirit work in in your life as a leader. Um, to have it be a positive outcome for everybody. That's great. Um, I want people to understand how debilitating gender dysphoria can feel to a trans person. And and they all feel it at differing degrees. And so you can't say, well, that person's doing this. So to, to your child, well, why aren't you doing it like them? Or if you're a leader, you know, well, that person, therefore you should be able to do that. And if they've described it to me, it's it's extremely debilitating, like as if they're underwater and can't breathe and you're trying to get a breath of air. And so when our members of the church take steps of transitioning and transitioning is a spectrum, right? It's 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 not a one or one or two things. It's a spectrum of could be a lot of little things. They're doing it to be able to breathe. They're doing it to relieve that dysphoria that they feel. And I know of a, a trans individual who's a member of the church who has felt like Heavenly Father has guided him to not take steps to transition. And he relies on the power of the atonement and the Savior to help him to do that. And I know of another trans individual who has felt the prompting, in fact, multiple felt the Spirit guide them to take steps of transitioning in order to relieve the dysphoria because it helps them to live. It helps them to live healthy lives. And and Heavenly Father is guiding them along that path as well. And so understand gender dysphoria and that help people to come closer to their Heavenly Father so that they can seek the inspiration that they need for their lives. Um, and also understand how, how distressing the gendered aspects of church can be 
on a transgender person that it could really spike their dysphoria and make it really difficult for them to come to church. And, and when they're feeling that kind of distress and dysphoria at church, it's, it's really hard, if not impossible to feel the spirit. And so for, for some, for wearing, just coming to church and wearing some clothing items that match their gender identity can just give them feelings of enough peace that help them to feel the spirit or, or, or the class that they go to that can cause a lot of gender dysphoria. And so if they're allowed to go to the class that, that matches their gender identity, then, then they're more able to feel the spirit. And because it, 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 they, they feel more peace when those gendered aspects lines are, are lessened and, and that can really help them feel, to feel the spirit. And, and that's what we want is for them for everybody to feel the spirit when they're at church. And so, so just removing some of those barriers when possible, that can be really helpful. Anyway, I just want people to understand how difficult it is. And uh, they're just trying to get through this life the best they can. And let's not make it more difficult for them. Thank you. From all of the listeners, um, Corey and Lynette, this is just wonderful ministering doctrinal principles to keep us together as the body of Christ, to keep our families together and to help our trans just transgender friends, Chloe and all of those that are transgender. And thank you for the personal revelation you're receiving, um, your work um, in this space and coming on the podcast. And thank our listeners um, for listening. It's hard to close these podcasts sometimes. <laughs> um but it's time to close, and this has just been a wonderful podcast. I will um, read just what is on. There's a website that's available to ward councils called counselingresources.churchofjesuschrist.org. So it's not a member. It's not available to the whole general membership. But the question is, you know, what does a priest leader or a leader do when someone comes out? And the answer is the. It's really the answer that. Corey just gave the most important thing you can do after a member discloses feelings of same-sex attraction, and I'll broaden that to be LGBTQ, is to listen and to help them feel validated and welcome. Yes, and, thank you. Um, one last thing: ahead. our um, if anybody wants to get a hold of us, good. We have uh, you can get to hold of us by email at az az for Arizona, so azbraddocks at gmail.com. We're open to answering questions or being a resource or just if you just need someone to talk to. So because we understand that how helpful that's been for us. And I got a message today just about a parent of a transgender person in this podcast was sort of their lifeline. Mm -hmm. um, so I th please reach out for those of you that need other families like the Braddocks. Um, we repeat that email one last time and then we'll close. A-Z-Braddox at gmail.com. And Braddox is spelled B-R-A-D-D-O-C-K-S. And we'll sign off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love coming, love coming from Arizona, the beautiful state of Arizona. Thank you for listening.